Welcome to Taking the Higher Road, a Driver Reach and Freight Waves production. I'm your host, Jeremy Raymer, founder and CEO of Driver Reach. On this show, I interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insights to the driver lifecycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges, driver recruiting and retention. I appreciate all the positive feedback on the show. Please remember to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you're using to listen. On today's show, I'm excited to be joined by Peter Schneider, president at TGS Logistics, a family-owned intermodal and domestic uh, drainage provider specializing in the import and export of dry and reefer cargo, retail, industrial, and everyday goods. Welcome to the show, Peter. Great to have you on. Good morning. Thank you very much, and good afternoon. Excuse me. I'm really excited to talk uh, to you about you and the special role you and uh, TGS play in the industry. Uh, I want to get to the bottom of the ongoing supply chain issues, you know, especially at our nation's ports, you know, uh, that you're seeing firsthand. Uh, I'd like to discuss, you know, how we got into this situation, you know, what's being done now, you know, what, what we need to do going forward in order to improve. And, and then of course, we'll answer a question submitted by a listener during our deeper dive segment. Does that work for you? Sounds great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's, let's dive in. Uh, first of all, tell me about the family business of TGS logistics, you know, what, what sure, you do sure. and what got you into the uh, industry. Sure. So my father started the company in 1985. He was in transportation since 1970. So he's been doing a little over 50 years and he's still doing it today. Although uh, he's not in today, he's playing at a charity golf tournament. So that tells you a little bit about his role. Um, I uh, worked in a warehouse and drove a forklift at the end of high school and during summer breaks while I was in college. Um, kind of grew up in the business. I sat on my dad's lap on a forklift on the docks, uh, you know, in the early and mid seventies. So I just, I've been around it my whole life. Um, I went to USC, got a double major finance marketing, had a job on wall street in 1993, but that was a year of a recession and my job uh, went away. Uh, actually the bank I was going to work with, uh, got bought and the positions all moved to Germany. And I wasn't moving to Germany. So my dad offered me a position. I took a few months to consider it because I didn't want to go work for my dad again. Uh, but um, after really nothing out there, job market wise, I came to work with my dad in 1993. And um, it's been a, a phenomenal ride, uh, almost 30 years now, full time in the office working and helping run the show. Uh, we are a uh, Drage Company, uh, both out of LA Long Beach and Oakland. We have an office here in Fresno doing uh, primarily, you know, and then we have a remote uh, crew that is uh, based up in the Bay Area and they do refrigerated goods. So from basically December through May, they do citrus. And then from May, June through December, they do grapes and tree fruit and pomegranates and all kinds of fresh stuff. And then we have a small intermodal, domestic intermodal division that runs to the rail ramps in Stockton and Lathrop. Uh, run about 120 trucks and about 25 of those are company trucks. The rest are independent contractors. Um, TGS is very involved in the industry, not just as a trucking entity, but also um, from an advocacy point of view. So I'm on the executive council or executive committee with the HTA uh, there's about six of us, and then there's 20, 15 or 20 on the board. I've been in that role for about five years now and been heavily involved with HTA for about eight. 
um, on the uh, board at the CTA, California Trucking Association, and I'm the chairman of Northern California for Intermodal. I've been in that role for about 10 years now. And I'm also on the board of advisors for the AgTC, Ag Transportation Coalition. They kind of are the main advocacy arm for export ag cargo for the whole United States. And I'm pretty close with Peter Friedman, who kind of runs that operation. Really good guy. Um, on top of that, I'm on different committees and uh, port efficiency task force and all that good stuff with LA, Long Beach, and Oakland. So I'm pretty heavily involved. That's awesome. And you uh, you mentioned HTA, Harbor Trucking Association, right? We're, uh, Driver Reach is a, is a newer member, I think uh, about six months or so ago. And, uh, and I think you were uh, uh, involved with that process. So I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your involvement in, in your ad advocacy, because as you know, if you're not at the table, oftentimes you're on the menu. So yeah. it's important. It's important to be Boy, involved. Okay. Right. Um, you you share information regularly on on LinkedIn with updates of you know what's going on at, at our nation's you know largest ports. Uh, a recent post of yours showed you know sixty plus ships waiting. Um, you know, to birth and, and be unloaded. Uh, I know some of them have waited as long as, you know, 24 days. Why is that? I mean, what, what in the world is going on? Yeah. So in lieu of your questions this morning, I, I did some research um, and there's one that's been there 44 days. There's some that have been there over 30 days. So sitting there over a month, month and a half, there's several reasons I can, I actually could talk about this for about five hours and just get, everybody kind of the understanding of the breadth of the information and and how detailed and into the weeds this really is. Uh, but to answer your question, the reason there's ships there for seven to 10 days versus ships there for 25, 30, 35 days is because a lot of the services that uh, have constant weekly flow into their set terminals, they are set up. However, there's new services and new steamship lines that have entered the marketplace just in the last several months. There's six brand new steamship lines that are you that are using this opportunity for the high import rates, and they are only working in the Trans-Pacific, which is basically, excuse me, Asia, Southeast Asia, to the U.S. West Coast. That's the second largest trade lane on the on the planet. Uh, the only one bigger is Asia to Europe. Um, so because these new services have come in, they came in with no contracts and they are just basically at the mercy of the terminal that will see them. So that's why they're just sitting out there for weeks and weeks without any birth space. Well, and I'm curious, all of this talk, I mean, it's all I hear about constantly is supply chain, supply chain. We certainly hear about truck driver shortage and, and those challenges, but, but in this case, this seems obviously this is much bigger than that. Uh, you know, has, has COVID, uh, has COVID-19, has the pandemic had any, impact on this supply chain problem because you didn't you didn't mention that and i'm so maybe not it absolutely has so from what i've read over the last 18 months we went from everything shutting down and there being no movement in the international trade for three or four months so basically march april may and into june of 2020 then at the end of june to now it has been nothing but a rat race um of moving containers, import cargo, mainly from China, mainly from Southeast Asia uh, to the U.S. West Coast. And it is due to COVID-19 that all of us were staying at home on our phones, on Amazon or on walmart.com or whatever, 
you know, app buying stuff versus going to the movies, going on an airplane, going and staying at a hotel, uh, going to a restaurant for so many months and not using services. So people were buying things, not services. And thus, one of the reports I read is that we went from 2019, 2020 to 2024 as far as buying power on e-commerce. And our supply chain industry is really not set up for growth like that. I mean, 20, 30% growth in an import market, we have a hard time during peak when it's a 3% growth. So that's kind of what spurred this and the reaction, the reactions that we've had has been so minimal. And that's why there's just uh, a glut of ships out there and it's gonna be a while until they get um, offloaded and the system gets freed up a long time. It's gonna be several months. Well, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know the pandemic had an impact uh, on so many different industries and certainly accelerated the adoption of technology and kind of to your point, it accelerated the uh, purchasing of things, right? And, you know, and, and so at the docks today, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there are challenges just like there are with, with the trucking industry and, and labor issues there, drivers and technicians, maybe some similar sort of labor issues, um, on the docks. And, and I know some of these ports have just recently or are talking about going to a 24 seven type of schedule, which is crazy because I, I was shocked to hear how many of them are uh, only operating during the week and were closed at night, closed on weekends is, is being 24 seven. Is that, is that the answer? Do you think? Will that down, the road it will, down the road, it will be, but quite frankly, right now it's not, I know that's what's in the news and I'm sorry to say, that is not what is the most effective for several reasons. First and foremost, there's not enough uh, ILW labor to man the amount of cargo coming in right now. So for the last several years, meaning five, six, seven years, since they started automating some of the terminals, they have not been hiring labor to backfill the amount of um, import increases that we've had. We've had increases every year for several years in international cargo coming through our ports. All the top 10, 12 ports have had increases every year, year over year. The fact that the ILW, the PMA has not hired more ILW labor until recently is a telltale. Well, I won't get into too much of that detail, but the bottom line is there's not enough labor, nor is there enough cranes to uh, supply to offload all the cargo more uh, rapidly and in a timely fashion. Um, the biggest bottleneck right now is there's too many empties on dock. Some of the terminals have between 60 and 80% empty containers on dock, and that does not give them enough space to bring in more import cargo. So instead of, you know, these ships have gotten bigger and bigger. Like I said, I could talk about this. It's just, a, it's a, it's a revolving door. Once you fix one thing, there's four more things in line to fix. But I would say right now, the biggest factor is that we need to evacuate empties off terminal and we need to evacuate empties off of chassis in yards around LA Long Beach. There's over eight, seven to 8,000 containers on chassis uh, in trucking yards all over the Southern California area. That, that's a lot of chassis. That's about 15%, 18% of the chassis pool is not being used right now. And you're saying they're empty, some of them, a lot of yeah, them. 
And the reason they can't be returned is there's restrictions with the appointment systems. So the two main things that need to be, and candidly speaking, 24-7 won't work. If you use the existing two uh, shifts that we have, which is 8 to 5 and 6 to 3 a.m., and you use those with a good appointment system so we can return empties to pick up the import cargo, and you evacuate all those empties, you will see cargo flowing through there much faster and the backlog of ships improving much, much better. Um, but the problem is that non-U.S. entities, the steamship lines, are kind of controlling the narrative and the U.S. companies are kind of fighting through this. And so it's trying to be politically correct, but basically foreign owned entities are controlling the U.S. economy in such a way that our supply chain is just, uh, you know, bottlenecked. Yeah, or, or buckling in some cases. I, I know, and even you said, you know, you get rid of those empties uh, and, and, and create more room for the, uh, the imported uh, freight and, and, and containers. Is there ample warehouse space even? Is, that, is there a place for them to go if they can get, you know, offloaded? And, and I know we're dealing with, a, you know, obviously, like I said, a driver shortage before. I know Biden, I think, recently quoted saying, you know, all these goods won't move themselves. You know, we still have the challenges of, you know, you could add a whole bunch more freight. Can we even accommodate that from a warehousing standpoint and a driver standpoint? Absolutely. We have enough drivers in the port. Is there a truck driver shortage? Yes. But that is based on over the road trucking statistics, uh, uh, less than truckload trucking, all kinds of different factors. In the port in LA Long Beach, if you look in the PDTR, which is the uh, truck registry, excuse me, online registry, there's 18,000 trucks registered in that. And between 12 and 15, 16,000 trucks show up every week in the port. So, I mean, those, their trucks are being used. They are not being used efficiently. So there's there's plenty of truck power. There's actually plenty of warehouse. Even though warehouses are at 99% capacity, there. if you go to Target, if you go to Walmart, if you go to the stores right now, there's a lot of empty shelves. And it's because the cargo is sitting on those ships, not just in LA Long Beach and other ports as well on the East Coast. And now in Seattle, Tacoma, there's backlog. They can't get through the system to get to the shelf. So there is space, there are people. Um, one thing I did read about two months ago was that in the um, trucking, I'm trying to think from March or April of 20, when COVID kind of took effect to current, so two months ago, um, trucking lost 150,000 jobs nationally. Warehousing gained 150,000 jobs. So on the warehousing side, they've got the people, the restrictions are there, um, depending on what state you're in, as far as taking the cargo, how fast they can take it. They're wearing masks, they're just social distancing within the warehousing still, depending on the type of job. Um, but the supply chain's ready. It's just the bottleneck at the ports right now. There's two things I want to say. You talked about labor, and and, and there's a, the deeper dive question is is actually about that. So uh, before we get there, though, there's there's one thing I wanted to to clarify. You mentioned IOW, um, and I'm unfamiliar with that name. Could, what does that stand for? Uh, ILWU. Oh, ILWU. Yeah, yeah what does ILWU. That stand for? Labor for the West Coast. Union. Is that union? Yep. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. International um, Longshoremen and Warehouse Union. Gotcha. ILWU. Okay. And so the other uh, thing I wanted to, you, you mentioned, you know, having nothing on shelves. 
And it's it's interesting that the news can make that even worse. You know, when they say, are we going to not have, you know, toilet paper now because of these bottlenecks? And so everybody runs out and buys, you know, 50 packs of toilet paper and all those sorts of things. I mean, that, that exacerbates the problem, but it is sensationalism. And that's they've, they've cut their teeth, you know, on sensationalism since since the beginning of probably uh, since the printing press. <laughs> you know, so they just they make it worse. Um let me get to the deeper dive question here. Uh, in mid-2021, U.S. This is, uh, this is the question. Uh, U.S. Department of Labor said the warehouse and transportation industry was short a record 490,000 employees. What is being done to address this labor shortage that seems much bigger than the driver shortage? Um, I can speak to the driver shortage because I'm a little closer to that. Um, we've had a driver shortage for decades, and it just keeps getting worse. In the ports, we're okay with how inefficient the system is. We have enough drivers to do the work we have today. But nationally, there are some things that need to be done to help with truck drivers uh, being a, a field that people want to be in. When I got grew up in the industry and cut my teeth, a truck driver made really good money. And the term was professional truck driver. They don't use that anymore. They're kind of a lack of a better way of putting it, a lower class um, uh, industry to be in. And these people work really hard. They're very honest. There's a bad apple in every industry. But generally speaking, truck drivers are really honest, dedicated people. They love their jobs and they want to be a company truck driver or they want to be an independent contractor. Um, to help with this, a couple of things need to happen. One, Right now, you've got to be 21 years old to be in a truck. We need to lower that age to 19. And, you know, you get kids out of high school that want to go into some kind of trade. They can be a reefer mechanic. They can be a mechanic for a car. They can be into carpentry at any age. Um, truck driving has that limitation. Thus, they miss the boat between high school and that age of getting people into the field. Two, insurance companies will not allow most of us companies to hire a truck driver unless they've got two years experience. So who gets all those truck drivers? The large national companies who are self-funded like Schneider and Swift Knight and all the big guys. Um, usually we get them after the fact. So they're in their mid twenties by that time. And if they don't like it, they don't like their experience, then they're out and they, they do look for another job. So that that's one thing that needs to change. Also what needs to be helped is a lot of truck drivers don't like to come into California because the speed limit. And I get it in and around, um, you know, very uh, urban areas. But California is a massive state. It's 1,200 miles long from tip to tip. There is a lot of open road. And easily you could make the speed limit 70, 75 like you do in all the neighboring states. So to me, that's something that needs to happen. And they need to make a national uh, weight limit standard. Right now in California, it's 80,000. In most of the other states around, it's 100, 105, 95. So if they were able to come up with a national raised weight limit, that would help cargo flow faster. That would help with wait times. It would get rid of a lot of waste in the industry and just make things a lot easier and cleaner. 
Well, you mentioned California. You said that that uh, one of the main reasons or the main reason is the speed limit. And I'm thinking I could probably rattle off a dozen reasons why people want to stay out of California. And you're talking to somebody who was born and raised there. Um, it's a it's a great state for a lot of reasons, but doing business isn't one of them. <laughs> it's certainly it can be handcuffing. Um, how much how much worse is this situation that we're in now and what you constantly hear about in the news? How much worse is that made by uh, the upcoming holiday season? You know, does that exacerbate a system that's already, you know, you know, collapsing or overtaxed or you know, how much how much of, of this is all part of a larger systemic problem? Yeah, it um, it's a problem. So two years ago, we went through what was called the Trump tariffs and all that stuff with the fight with China. And then everybody was uh, shipping a, a massive amount to beat tariffs that may be coming up now. And that and, that, and those were three and five percent increases. Now we're at 20 and 30 percent increases and the system cannot take it. So this time of year, it's always awful or always crazy with peak season for holiday season, this peak season is un unlike any other simply because we are already been we've already been maxed out. My company since August of last year, we, we, you know, we have what we call a peak season usually is August through December, January through Chinese new year. Uh, ours hasn't stopped. So my people are tired, overworked, hired more people to do the same amount of work to help out. I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon until some things are done to mitigate the uh, bottleneck, which I'm going to tout it again, relieve the empties from the terminal, evacuate those empties, and then you'll see uh, an automatic like opening of a floodgates for service. Well, I, I, I appreciate the, the, <laughs> the, uh, I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> uh, Peter, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I really appreciate your passion for the industry. Appreciate your involvement, your advocacy, and I hope to uh, get to see you in person sometime soon. You got it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And thanks for joining me for another episode of Taking the Higher Road and for spreading the word to your industry peers. We really appreciate it. And remember, you can submit any questions or comments, including those which may appear on upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. And don't forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you use to listen. Until next time, thank you for taking the higher road.